The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals participating in the show. All persons described or mentioned in the podcast should be considered innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. This podcast contains subject matters such as violence and graphic descriptions along with adult language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. On February 1st, 1959, nine Soviet hikers set out to hike in the northern Ural Mountains of Russia. What occurs becomes one of the most mysterious mysteries in the history of the Soviet Union. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of the Dyatlov Pass Incident. Welcome to a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Well, Coach, that's some mysterious stuff was falling from the sky I hadn't seen in a while. They call that stuff rain. Yeah? Yeah, it's a I little... I didn't see much of it. I've been cooped up, man. I don't see the outside much, but... Yeah, I don't... I mean for the intro to rhyme like that, but it just worked out. You know... <laughs> When you have the poetic gene, you have the poetic gene. <laughs> That's right. All right. So we had a little surprise this week. Our One of our OG patrons, Miss Bliss, and her husband, Mr. Bliss, members since the June of 2020, sent that us. Makes them, that makes them OG. Like, <laughs> top, probably the first three. Like, they the. Sons of Anarchy, they're the first nine. They get a special patch. That's right. They, uh, the care package came, and we have a smattering of different coffees, some whiskey liqueur chocolates, a uh, four-pack of a holiday IPA. Uh, yeah. A couple of bottles of barbecue sauce, and I'm probably leaving something else out. But I sent Coach a picture, and we'll probably put it on our socials. We are extremely humble and thankful for that care package. We had a handwritten note in there that I also sent Coach. Yeah, that, um, a little taste of Kansas City. That's right. And an open. That's a good city, man. An open invitation to come by and tour the coffee company. Let's do it. I'm ready. Shit, I am too. I'm ready to win the lottery is what I'm ready to do. Man, I've been trying. <laughs> so hard it's like it's that's not easy to win like they make it so hard dude. they do you would think that it's rigged <laughs> you can keep the coffee but you damn sure better be sharing that beer and that barbecue sauce with me because i'm telling you that's right up my alley you <laughs> you want to find your way to old coach's heart it ain't hard it's alcohol and fatty pork that's right, baby. Maybe a slab of Texas brisket, if you can Ooh. muster it. Yeah, buddy. All right, so we had a new patron, and I have totally pooped the bed on this one, and I cannot remember. Yeah, dude. Cannot remember who it was. Uh, you got like one job is remember the patrons. I know, I know. Well, it's the artist known as B Harm 910, and... 
Mr. James Bowley big upped his uh he's an equipment tier patron. We're gonna have to hook him up. And then um I believe that's it. I thought there was someone else, but this it's not showing on the old patron page and I've refreshed it a couple of times. You don't see it. But anyway, if I do leave you off, please let us know. Oh, one last thing before we get into the Dietlav pass. Coach and I were made aware right before we went on the air that we had a snafu in our... I mean, you did. Clearly, I didn't. I never mess up. I'm the... <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm gonna re- I'm gonna release the opening now in its oh, full glory. I mean, it only, took, it only took seven takes. I mean, they don't call me seven take coach for nothing. But we um, we got a message from a lady, and I'm not going to release her name just because she didn't say yeah talk about me. But basically, she told us that she had gone down the rib- rabbit hole about Booger Holler, uh, Madison County, Arkansas. There was a some kind of current case that went down in 2021 and somehow she wound up finding our episode 16 on Billie Jean and then our reboot on one episode 167 and yeah, I, and I, and I did respond by saying that it was an oversight on our part. I think we mentioned that Chick Phillips, um, had been tried and acquitted for the murder of Billie Jean, and it was not Chick Phillips. It was a man named Clint Phillips. While that is an easy mix-up, we were, or I was, relying on those old articles that were written that basically pulled the veil back when it came to everything that was going on in Madison County. So we do apologize, and hopefully... We can get this cleared up. We have got enough. Coach was saying before we went on the air or before we started recording, this is the case that just every three to five weeks we'll get this wild email. Uh, the other case that she's referring to, we got an email from someone that does. They don't. I don't think they know each other, but Madison County is a small Small little niche over in Arkansas, they might. But anyway, there's another weird case going on over there that it's fresh, and there's not a whole lot of information. So we're kind of, or I'm kind of letting it fester so that we can get some information about it. But well, Billy, I mean, G- it's, the, it's the case that like it's it's very important and very like it's very important to the people of that county. Yes. And not many people have covered it. So when they go searching for it, they 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 inevitably find us. And, I mean, it just – I'm not complaining, but, yeah, this is a case that won't go away. We hear about it all the time. And it's good. I mean, good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad for it, but I'm it's glad that weird. It's, yes, and it, it, I'm just glad that it's still being talked about because hopefully – and I think we could kind of do one of those – we need to do a catch-up episode anyway, and we've got a couple of things that we could probably... I mean, that's the case that got us, uh, introduced us to Jennifer Buchholz, and Jennifer Buchholz, you know, with the Rebecca Gould case, you know, and, like, we're... 
I would say, I would dare to say friends with her now. And yes. she's helping us out in ways that we never thought possible. Hopefully what she's trying to do will work out big news later on if it works out. But Well, if it don't work out, we can still interview her. So, well, hell yeah. Cause she's, a, <laughs> she's a television personality. She's on the TV. I seen her. Yeah. I seen her too. She's famous. I, I sent her a message one time of a screenshot of her on the on TV. I said, I know this person. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Billy Jean Phillips, the cases that we originally did early on in Arkansas really put us on the map and got us a cult following basically. If people say, why do you do so many Arkansas cases? It's because the majority of our listeners come from Arkansas. They really do. They they really do. What was the other one? Janie Ward? Janie Ward, Billy Jean, Rebecca Gould. We still, we still haven't covered, like, the boys on the tracks, the West, West Memphis Three. We haven't done, like, the big cases from Arkansas. No, we have not. We did do... The little girl that went missing, I can never think of her name, the, at the baseball game. Morgan Nick. And that one will yeah, break your did. heart. Yes, it will. Absolutely will. But anyway, that's enough of us t- blowing our own horns here. That's uh, enough of the beers now. That's right. So let's get after this now. Uh, we. This is probably the most famous case that we haven't covered yet. Correct. And the way, like, we talked about it last week. There was a couple of angles that we could have went, and we could have gotten real thick in the weeds, and we we decided not to. Now, we caught some flack on another famous yeah, case that we didn't give the entire backstory. We just gave our opinions on, but I'm going to, I think we're yeah, going to give you. I mean, look, Maura Murray, we told that lady. <laughs> begin, we told, the, it, like, we said, we're just going to talk about it. We're just going to blah, 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 because there's so much information about her anyway. If you want to get the backstory, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. And she's still like, you didn't cover nothing. And and the thing is, lady, we have two full-time jobs. Those guys had a whole podcast dedicated to that case. Yeah. They're making (laughs) a living off of it. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not sponsored by Squarespace or Blue Chew or none of those motherfuckers. I mean, we want to be, but we're not. That's right. So, I still think, I of all the reviews we've got, positive and negative, I still think that one was the only one that's not fair. That's not fair. Correct, because we gave the disclaimer within the first two minutes. Exactly. All right, so. Well, they did say they weren't going to cover everything, but they didn't cover everything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are going to tackle the Dyatlov Pass, and of course, Coach will get to giggle his little ass off about me mispronouncing. Oh, I mean, I'm so excited! All these, I mean, yeah, these Russian names. Russian names are yeah. just you're gonna butcher them. I it's am gonna going be amazing. To kill the! I'm gonna kill it like I normally do. I mean, I'm a cunning I'm gonna laugh. I'm gonna laugh with indignant, an indignant amount of laughter, and you're gonna be like. But you didn't do anything. It's like, that's not the point. The point is you can't talk. <laughs> the point is you can't speak. <laughs> so we've got the story of the Dyatlov Pass incident, and it began in the Ural Polytechnical Institute. And you may be thinking to yourself, self, how does this happen? Well, there at the old Ural Polytechnical Institute was a group of current and former students who decided to get together to hike slash ski across the Ural Mountains. 
The trip was not what you would expect from a group of college students. These are not just a bunch of college kids who have a harebrained idea to set off into the Ural Mountains in the middle of winter. The group consisted of 10 members, and each of them were certified grade 2 hikers. That's a big deal, okay? At the time. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a joke. Like, they, they know what they're doing. Yeah, at the that's time. Very important, that's very important to understand is these guys are not just whistling Dixie, as they say. They're, they're not fucking around. They're right. out there to get their next certification. They have, they're very experienced. They have uh, lots of outdoor knowledge. Let's just put it that way. Correct. And the trip would, this hike, if they had completed it, would have made them a grade three. And at the time, that was the most prestigious hiking certificate in the Soviet Union. They were not taking any chances of being distracted, and everyone decided to take the trip seriously, as evident by no booze or cigarettes being brought along on the trip. That just that just sounds boring. I know you would have been extremely disappointed. Oh God! If if I go hiking and there's no booze, oh man, you do not want to deal with that grumpy coach. If there's no barbecue and beer afterwards, yeah, it's not. Oh happening. yeah, yeah, no, not for me, not for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't run and I don't hike. So anyway, the goal was for the group to reach the mountain of Gora Orton in the track that the hikers would be taking was rated at the highest possible difficulty. Still, the group remained confident that they would be able to complete the journey as they were properly prepared and properly trained. Their journey started on the 25th of January as a group, and they began traveling from the Euro Polytechnic Institute towards the village of Vizha. Now, once there, the hikers rested for the night and began their hike on the 27th of January. But before they even get going, one of the hikers has some bad luck strike. Just one day into... I mean, considering what happens, I don't think it's bad luck. No, it is not bad luck. Uh, At the time, he felt like it was bad luck. Yeah, but he changed his fucking tune real quick. Yes, sir. Just one day into the hike, the then 21-year-old Yuri Yudin began to suffer from severe joint pain. Yudin had been plagued by many health problems over the course of his life, and the limitations had been placed on him were obviously quite frustrating. But in this case, his untimely health problems may have actually saved his life. Not may have, it did. Yeah, no doubt. With a pain in his joints becoming so bad that he could barely get up and stand up right, Yudin decided that he would only slow the hikers down if he stayed with them. So he made his decision to leave them, said his goodbyes, and he headed home. So with Yudin dropping out, the group now consisted of nine people, seven men and two women. The leader of the group, Igor Dyatlov, was said to be extremely knowledgeable and experienced by all accounts. He was a very well-respected group hike leader and as they crossed through what has now been renamed as the Dyatlov Pass severe weather struck and caused them to lose their bearings and eventually they ended up on the side of the mountain known as Quetzalcoatl or as it was better known by the local Mansi tribe Dead Mountain It was late at this point, and the weather was anything but stable, so Dyatlov made the decision, which some have questioned, to make camp 
and hunker down until sunrise and wait out the storm. Now, Igor had told Uden as Uden's heading back home that the group would send a telegram once they returned to the village. Now, Dyatlov believed the trip should take around 16 days, but a few extra days were possible due to the unpredictable weather of the region. Uden waited for the telegram for weeks, but it never came. This caused him to report the group as missing, and on February 26th, a search party was able to locate a tent. It was believed this was the missing hiker's tent. Upon further investigation, it was discovered that the tent had been cut open from the inside by someone. With these hikers being as experienced as they were, They would not have done this unless there were some extremely extenuating circumstances. And by that, I mean something scared the shit out of them and made them rip open the tent to get away from whatever this thing is. Now, the condition of the tent revealed that the group likely cut the tent from the inside in order to flee either impending doom or something they felt like would caused them bodily harm. Basically, something scared the bejesus out of them, and they wanted to get out of there as fast as them little feet could go. Now, everyone in the tent was also so terrified that they just ripped it open and tore out into the blizzard and the snow and the freezing temperatures. Most were not... I mean... Something very, very wrong had to occur for them to tear their own tent open and run away. Like especially in the conditions that, that that were outside at the time, there were a lot of them had no shoes on. None were properly dressed for the negative 30 degree temperatures and some fled the tent in just their underwear. That's insane. I mean, something very very bad would have to occur for me to do something like that. Yes. I would 110% agree with you, sir. But what could it have have been? I don't know, but we will get to it, I promise. (laughs) Now, one of the more perplexing clues found was a set of footprints of all nine hikers heading away from the campsite in single file. The discovery makes whatever happened that more mysterious because you would think if they are scared to death and they've ripped the tent open, they would just be fleeing whatever has caused this sporadic or in a sporadic pattern. There would be footprints going everywhere, just utter chaos, but there wasn't. This was not the case. The footprints were eerily organized. One by one, the hikers walked single file down the hill in their bare feet, some in socks, some with hardly any clothes on. So between the cut-open tent and the single-file footprints, it's crystal clear that something extremely unusual happened that night. Things are only going to get stranger. So investigators set out on the morning of February 27th, confident that the members of the lost group would be found alive because they're dealing with some very experienced hikers here. They were all grade two hikers, They had found the tent and a good trackway that they believed would lead them to another satellite camp. While one investigator was searching around a patch of trees, something caught his eye. Something brown was sticking out of the snow near an old cedar tree. 
As the investigator got closer, he could tell that all of the limbs on the lower part of the tree had been broken off. This led him to believe that someone had tried to climb the tree. As he began to dig near this brown object, he discovered the remains of an old fire. Next to the fire, the investigator would discover the bodies of Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivenshenko. Doroshenko was found lying face down wearing a short-sleeved t-shirt, swimming trunks, and two socks, but no shoes. He had a large burn on the right side of his head and on his foot. The weirdest thing was he had a gray fluid coming out of his mouth. His body was covered in scrapes and bruises. His ears, nose, and lips were covered in blood. It is theorized that these injuries were self-inflicted from the agony of freezing to death. The gray fluid coming out of his mouth, according to medical examiners that have looked into this case, is indicative of the body experiencing an extremely strong force to the chest cavity. Investigators summarized that Doroshenko had likely fallen from the cedar tree or that somebody or something had pressed on his chest with extreme force. Doroshenko's official cause of death was labeled as hypothermia and the detail of the gray fluid in his mouth never made the initial post-mortem report. 23-year-old Yuri Krivenshenko was found lying next to Doroshenko under the same cedar tree. He was found wearing a long sleeve shirt and a single sock. His body was heavily bruised with numerous cuts as well as burns found on his foot and up his legs. His hands were also burned. Inside his mouth was a chunk of his own knuckle. And it is postulated that Krivenshenko had bitten his knuckle to either stay awake or stop himself from crying. Oh, wow. I, I cannot imagine. I, I, I mean, seriously, I, you just, I can't. There is no way I can put myself in that. Like, if it's to stop himself from crying, he's trying to make sure he's quiet. Now, investigators would later release that both the Yuri's bodies had been moved post-mortem. They theorized that they had been found by the remaining members of the group and buried out of respect. The missing clothing was said to have been divided up amongst the remaining members of the group to ward off frostbite or hypothermia. The next body found was the leader of the group, Igor Dyatlov. He was found face up with both of his fists clenched and his body had been clearly manipulated after his death. What do you, what do you mean? How do you mean manipulated? They're saying that he, what the way they found him is not how he would have perished. Like, it's not like he's curled up. He had been, looked like he had been laid out properly and kind of not ritualistically, but I guess out of respect, kind of buried. Really? Yes. I didn't. I didn't see that in my research. Well, who uh, who do they think did it? They think the others did it, or yeah, they think that basically as people start passing away from hypothermia or whatever or freezing to death, that the remaining members are burying the dead and then they are for a lack of better word scavenging what clothing they can to stay warm 
So Igor was found face up with both of his fists clenched. Like I said, he had abrasions and bruises on both of his ankles as well as cuts and bruises on his face. He was missing an incisor in his jaw, and the coroner reported that these injuries were consistent with that of those caused by a fist fight. His official death was labeled, you guessed it, hypothermia. The first woman of the group found was Zenadia Kolomogorov. She was better dressed for the elements than the other members that had previously been found. One of the sweaters she was wearing had part of the right sleeve torn off, however. She had abrasions on both her hands and bruises on her face. Another long bruise was found along the side of her body. An investigator stated that that bruise was consistent with a bruise seen after someone had been struck with a baton or a nightstick. These, what? Yeah. What? I didn't. I didn't know that one either. That one was a new one on me. I was like, what the hell? Definitely a new one. Yes. So these injuries show signs of a struggle between her and someone else. Her official cause of death was hypothermia due to a violent accident. Huh. It has been theorized that both Kolomogorova and Dyatlov were likely trying to make their way back to the tent when they succumbed to hypothermia. Now, Another week would pass before the next body was found, and that would be 23-year-old Rustam Slobodin. He was found on March 5th lying face down covered in snow. He had internal bleeding in both of his temples and a large fracture on his skull. Whatever caused the fracture and the hemorrhaging remains a mystery, but medical experts concluded that Slobodin likely survived the injury for up to an hour after it happened. Now, the working theory is that Slobodin became extremely disoriented and dizzy after suffering these injuries and collapsed in the snow, still conscious and awake. Hypothermia would have set in very quickly, and Slobodin would have died within minutes of that him collapsing, I guess is the best way to put that. His body also showed signs that it had been moved post-mortem. Several months would pass, and a member of the Mansi tribe came across a den. This den was created by the remaining hikers, and it would have been a last-ditch effort for the remaining four members to survive that bitter cold night. Ultimately, that proved to be unsuccessful. Ludmilla Dumeninia was found with her body draped over a natural ledge, and I couldn't get any other information than it was just a natural ledge, with running water flowing directly next to her body. The tissue around her lips and mouth were missing, exposing her teeth and her upper jaw. Soft tissue was also missing from other parts of her face, revealing her cheekbone. Ten of her ribs were broken and massive hemorrhaging had occurred in her heart. Sheesh. Yeah, that's a very violent act that occurred to her. Both of her eye sockets were also empty, meaning that both of her eyes had been removed. Oh, yeah, but that could be, you know. Scavenging, that's what I thought. Scavenging predators, yeah, but still. When you think that this. Broken ribs, that's a, that's a violent act that occurred. That's no joke. No no, no, no. And a hemorrhaging of the heart. Her heart hemorrhaged from the impact of something. 
When you think that this poor girl could not have suffered any more, it was discovered that Dubonina's tongue had been removed. During the postmortem exam, her stomach contents were searched and her ter- tongue was not found. This suggests that she was alive when her tongue was removed. Her cause of death was hemorrhaging into the right atrium of the heart, making her one of the only deaths to officially be ruled something other than hypothermia. It's just, it's that poor girl. Now, yeah, that's just, golly, I, I honestly can't even like respond to it. That's just brutal. Yeah. Simeon Zolotaryov was the oldest member of the nine hikers, and when his body is discovered, it appeared as if he was more prepared for the frigid conditions after exiting the tent. He was discovered wearing three pairs of pants, a long jacket over a sweater, two hats, a scarf, and boots. Despite his attire, he perished in a similar manner to Miss Dubinia. Zolotarov was mysteriously or had mysteriously suffered blunt force trauma to his chest along with five broken ribs. He was missing tissue along his right eyebrow, which exposed his skull. He also had a deep gash in the back of his head, and both of his eyes were missing from their sockets. His cause of death, however, was ruled hypothermia. Of course it was. So both Dubinina and Zolotarov have suffered these horrible... once Once your chest has been, you know collapsed to the point where all your ribs break. You're very susceptible to hypothermia. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're killing it with the cause of death. They're not doing so hot on the manor. (laughs) Now, both Dubinia and Zolotarov had suffered their chest injuries while they were still alive. Medical experts concluded that their injuries were caused by a large force and could not have been caused by another human. Their internal injuries were similar to what you would see in a head-on car crash. Despite this, and the fact they're on the side of a mountain in the Ural Mountains, neither had any bruising or marks where the force would have hit them. This is still unexplainable and baffles medical examiners and investigators to this day as how these injuries were possible in such a remote area. Alexander Kolvatov's body was found near the den that was discovered by one of the Mansi tribe members. His clothing situation, while not as good as Zolotarov's, was better than the other members of the group. His jacket and pants were found with rips and tears, along with burn marks on his jacket and socks. Kolvatov, Kolvatov was missing moth, moth, both. Moth. Yeah, it's most and both. Kolvatov. <laughs> shit, I just I was doing so well, and then moth. So here we go. Kolvatov's body was missing both of his eyebrows and bone could be seen where they once were. His nose was broken and his neck was found in a quote, deformed state, which basically means his neck had been snapped. A gash was also found behind his right ear. Despite all of these clear signs of a struggle, the autopsy was left vague and the cause of death was ruled hypothermia. Bingo! We got a double jeopardy winner. Ding, 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 ding. 
What did I win, Johnny? You get a 12-pack on the house. Oh, shit. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. So the remaining victims were found in May, and little to no explanation was given to any of their injuries, and their autopsies were just as vague as Kolobotov's. Some have called the autopsies misleading. I would say that's an understatement. Now, Nikolay Brignoli was found dressed similar to Zolyarov, and the working theory is that Brignoli and Zolyarov were both actually standing outside of the tent when whatever happened inside the tent occurred, and that's why they were dressed more properly. Brignoli was found with bruising on his lips and on the lower left side of his face. He had bled internally on his lower right forearm, which is extremely odd. I thought that was like a misprint, but basically it sounds like he had a severe contusion that didn't break his forearm, but caused internal bleeding. His skull was fractured and cracked all over the left side of his head. The way it was explained in one of the articles was like you had cracked an egg. The fractures would have had to have been caused by an extremely powerful force. The odd thing is there were zero damages to the soft tissue on the top of his fractured skull. This also points to the fact that these injuries were not made by another human. After suffering these injuries, Brignoli would have most likely been in an unconscious state and would have perished in less than three hours. Now, each and every one of the deaths of the members of the group appear to be suspicious. All of the hikers had bruising and cuts on their bodies, specifically their faces. Most had other shocking and disturbing injuries that were never explained. One of the most shocking things in this case is that the last four hikers had taken the clothes from some of the corpses of their friends who had perished. This would have been well. A- I mean, it, it's rumored that that's what what had happened, but you know they they talk about paradoxical undressing. Yes, that's a little foreshadowing by Coach because that's one of the th- oh. theories. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Yeah, like apparently when you freeze to death one of the last things that happen is your body actually feels very, very hot. And so in cases where people have froze to death, they have seen that they have actually undressed trying to cool off, which is very strange, very strange, but it happens. It has happened many, many, many times. And it's very well documented that that is one of the last moments before death occurs. Yeah. Now, by taking the clothes from their friends, it would have been a last-ditch effort to attempt to survive the freezing cold weather. When the final four bodies were found, they were all found wearing, like I said, those clothes, but those clothes that they were wearing all had trace amounts of radiation. What was also discovered was the entire Dyatlov Pass region was found to have the same trace amounts of radiation. It is believed... Did you see what kind of radiation? I mean, was it like... It didn't say. It just said radiation. Gamma, alpha, beta, gamma. What type, man? I don't know, dude. You know, I I don't speak fluent Russian. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it is believed that there is no natural way that this radiation could have been found on their bodies, but an explanation as to how it got there has never been offered up. 
looking at the deaths as a whole, no part of the situation makes any sense. From ripping open the tent to the single file footprints to the insane, crazy injuries and add to all of that the radiation findings, you can see why this is still one of the most talked about unsolved cases in the world. Absolutely. Which gets us to the theories. Now, one of the earliest theories to come out about what happened was the idea that the local Mansi tribe had killed the hikers. Now, remember that a storm had caused the hikers to wander off course and ended up on what is now known as Death Mountain. The mountain was home to the Mansi people, and it was theorized that they attacked the hikers when they ventured onto their land. One piece of evidence to support this was the fact that a Mansi chung was found just a few hundred meters away from the hikers' campsite. A Mansi chung was a symbolic structure that was created at the time of a sacrifice. And there is actual pictures of what this chung looks like near where they find the tent. It has a big old set of moose antlers on it. And we'll try I'll try to post some of the more obscure photos because any YouTube video you watch or any article that you go into now has a lot of these photographs. So we're not just going to blow up social media with 30 photographs about this case, but there are a couple of photographs I want to share. And that's this Mansi Chung is one of them. Now, could the Mansi people have sacrificed the hikers or killed them for stepping onto their land? It could be possible. And looking at the pictures that the Diatla group had taken prior to the death, it is clear that they were stepping onto the land of the Mansi people because it shows one of the members and there's a Mansi wooden plank on a tree and it's got carvings on it. The tribe isn't always welcoming to visitors, so perhaps this led to a conflict. What could also support this theory was the fact that the Mansi people knew this land better than anyone else in the world. It is plausible they could have covered up their tracks and staged the murders in such a strange way that they knew it would never be solved. While this theory is intriguing because it would answer why the hikers fled their tent so quickly, more than likely, once you start looking at this, and investigators that have looked into it deeper have realized they were about to, or they felt like, the members of the group felt like they were going to be attacked and tried to escape this Mansi war party, I guess. Yeah, but here's the thing, and once we get into the other more supernatural theories, well, not really supernatural, but cryptid theories, I'll poke a hole in that theory and and the the Yeti theory, but for the fact that there's no footprints. Right. Now, it would also... No footprints. And the thing is, if they are being marched, or if they, if this Mansi tribe has attacked, and that that would explain the single file foot tracks, or footprint tracks, down the hill, because maybe they were being led down the hill and told what to do. Ultimately, the theory for the Mansi people having killed the hikers sounds somewhat believable, but at the end of the day, you, when you really dig into it, it doesn't make enough sense. It does, no. not, it does not explain the injuries suffered by the hikers. The coroner clearly said that a few of the hikers suffered injuries that could not have been caused by a human. That alone makes this theory plausible, but highly unlikely. Yes. Covering every single footprint left by a Mansi war party is a little extreme too. 
The chung that was found in the area of the hiker's tent was likely for the sacrifice of a moose, which they use for food. And like I said about the picture, you can clearly see the antlers at the top of this chung. This seems to be confirmed by the local Mansi people that have spoken about what the chungs represent. Also, since so much time has passed, it has now come to light that the Mansi tribe never performed human sacrifices. The Mansi used these rumors so that people would basically leave them the fuck alone on the mountains. So the second theory is an explanation as to why the hikers fled their tent so quickly. For them to practically destroy their main piece of shelter, they had to determine that their lives were in danger And they had to think that the danger was approaching so quickly that they had to leave without being properly dressed. Because of this and the location of the tent, many now believe that an avalanche had caused the hikers to flee that day, even though the specific area is not known for having frequent avalanches. They were camped at the base of a mountain, meaning they could have been in a direct path of an incoming avalanche. This theory would explain why the hikers cut their tent open in such a hurry and left the safety of their shelter with only light clothing on. For obvious reasons, this has been the widespread theory that many have settled on. However, this theory doesn't explain how the hikers suffered such serious injuries. Remember, those who had suffered broken bones showed no signs of tissue damage near their injuries. This is significant because if an avalanche had caused a rock to strike them or caused them to crash into a tree or something like that, there would have been significant damage to their tissue around the broken bones. There would have been at the very least major bruising and they would have been completely covered with cuts and scrapes from head to toe. Also, there was never any sign that an avalanche had taken place in that area that night. Although this is impossible to totally prove, scientists had agreed that it is unlikely that this ever took place. Now, despite this theory being 90% ruled out, an avalanche still could be partially to blame. It may be likely that the hikers had just thought that an avalanche was coming. Maybe they heard a loud noise or something like that and panicked and cut open the tent, and when they realized they had made a mistake, they walked single file into the woods in order to get another shelter in the trees. This sounds very rational, but it still doesn't explain what actually killed the hikers. If they really thought there was an avalanche and that that's what caused them to flee, then something outside of their shelter must have killed them. But what could have caused all of those gruesome injuries? That's the million-dollar question, boys and girls. So with little to go off of in terms of rational theories, many have suggested some more supernatural causes for this tragedy. Maybe a little cryptid. And the main talking point is, understandably, they were killed by a Yeti. Conceivably... Yeah, if you... When you get into the Sasquatch lore that to the level that we are at, you will understand that the Bigfoot Sasquatch of North America is not the same as the mythical Yeti in Asia. The Yeti is supposedly much more aggressive, much more territorial, 
and much more vicious than our Harry and the Hendersons type Sasquatch of America. That is correct. And the Yeti is something to be feared very much. Conceivably, it is very territorial too. So if they had, in fact, wandered off the side of that trail and into his territory or her territory or their territory, that would explain why the hikers fled and could also explain their unusual injuries. Now, this theory has become more popular since the film in the hikers' cameras were released to the public. There is the famous photograph of what appears. The last photograph. That's what that's what makes it curious to me. Way more curious than uh, I mean, it's an interesting, it's a very interesting photograph. But the fact that it's the last one means so much more to me. Yes, I totally agree that that is the last picture taken before the event that evening. Now, the photograph that we're talking about has you can find it pretty quickly with a Google search. But it appears that you see a dark, hairy shape which would be a Yeti peering around a tree. After analysis, this photo has been completely proven to be 100% real, and the image has not been doctored in any way. Now, naysayers claim that this is just a photograph of a man with his snow gear on. This image is unforgettable, and it only adds to the mystery. Despite is, it's, it's possible that it's a man in his snow gear, but it's a large man. Very large man. Because there was a Discovery docu-series, maybe, about when they reopened it. Shit, I don't know how long ago it was. And basically, that's when they were releasing those photographs, and they went back out there and tried to, kind of like they did with the Patterson-Gimlin film, and estimate how tall that figure would have been and how wide that figure would have been, and it would have been massive. Yeah. Now, despite this looking somewhat like a Yeti, the theory has its shortcomings as well. The first issue is that there's no Yeti footprints footprints found in the area. Now, for those of you new to our podcast and was not paying attention when Coach gave you his crash course on cryptids, Yetis are the colder weather version of our Bigfoots. That's why they're called they're sometimes called the abominable snowman. While the Yeti theory checks a lot of boxes, it does not account for the radiation that was found on the hiker's clothing. It definitely does not. Now, another popular theory is the idea that aliens are to blame for the deaths of the nine hikers. Mm. The main point for this theory is that bright lights in the sky were seen over the Dyatlov Pass on the night the hikers ran out of their tent. Local Mansi hunters claim that the lights looked like glowing spheres and matched the descriptions of what we now call UFOs or UAPs. On the body of Simeon Zolotaryov, A camera was found with severe water damage. Despite the obvious damage from sitting in the freezing cold for three months, the film inside the camera was eventually developed, and it's shown some very, very interesting things. Zolotaryov took pictures of some kind of light in the sky. Now, this could have just been damage to the film from the conditions it sat in, but believers of this UFO theory state that these photos are evidence of a UFO being near the hikers just before they fled their tent. The theory stated that this light form began coming after the hikers and caused them to panic and flee the tent. It is unclear 
what would have happened, but a popular belief is that the UFO caused the hikers to go into a trance. This made them walk down the mountain in a single file line. Now, just like the other theories, it checks some of the boxes, but still doesn't account for the radiation and the hikers fleeing their tent in the first place. It could potentially explain the injuries found on the hikers. One would have to assume that these aliens were very malicious and set out to attack and kill humans other than abduct them and do anal probing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what sounds worse. (laughs) Ten broken ribs? The unusual nature of this case has led some to theorize that the cause of all of the trauma to the hikers were some, was some sort of strange psychological occurrence. Many have, quote, solved this mystery by stating that everything happened due to paradoxical undressing, just like Coach said. And if you need a crash course, you can either rewind it or remember that Coach told us that this is the last <laughs> stage before death. Now, the burning sensation causes the person to, like Coach said, rip off all their clothes to cool down. But in negative 30-degree temperatures, you're dead as soon as you're naked. Just, That's just, a horrible sentence you just said. You're dead as soon as you're naked. Yep. Oh, that's awful. In negative 30 love, degrees, I bet your spit would freeze before it hit the ground. I love being naked. <laughs> I mean... I'm not even going to touch that one. That's pretty pretty good right there. So, anyway. Now, this was initially used as the likely cause of the hiker's death because it explains why so many were found improperly dressed for such cold temperatures. The extreme effects of hypothermia could have caused the hikers to hallucinate or hear things. This would account for the hikers fleeing the tent from a non-existent threat. On the surface, this could appear to be the case, but if you look at the case in depth, you wind up scrapping this theory. For one, the last four hikers took the clothes of those who perished in order to stay warm. Also, a fire was found near the bodies of the first two hikers. Along, or all along the Diotlov Pass were signs and evidence that these hikers were actively looking for warmth and trying to stay alive. This theory does not explain the injuries that occurred to the hikers. Now, this one is a new one to me, and I kind of remember this from a couple of years ago, but I'd forgotten about it. But it is another psychological theory that has been stated that the area around the Diotlov Pass produces a low-frequency wind, which creates what is known as a Carmen Vortex Street. This ultra-low frequency is said to cause panic attacks to a lot of those who experience it. It is possible that the hikers heard this and fled their tent due to this paranoia. By the time they made it down the mountain, they would have realized their grave mistake but it was too late. Again, this doesn't explain how the hikers suffered such gruesome injuries, and it really just falls flat on its face when you have to take into consideration that for this theory to be true, you must accept that all nine hikers would have had to experience the same psychological phenomena and react in the same way. Seems incredibly unlikely because no two minds are alike. So the idea that all nine of them would have collectively acted in a way that would get them killed doesn't hold water. You would have to buy in that none of the hikers realized that fleeing the tent was an insane decision. Now on the flip side is that maybe this was all part of the phenomena 
and began, and maybe the group had a disagreement, which caused a fracas. Possibly some members of the group began to slowly lose their minds while the others remained sane. These conflicting mindsets may have led to a physical disagreement that would have caused the minor physical injuries of the one that looked like he had been in a fight. Things may have boiled over as the tent was ripped and the group fought outside in the cold. Realizing the mistake that they had all made, the group may have calmed down and realized that they would surely die if they continued fighting in the frigid conditions. This could cause them to head for shelter of the trees below the camp. It is by no means a perfect theory, and it does not explain the horrible injuries. But then again, the perfect theory for this case doesn't seem to exist. No, not at all. There is no perfect theory. Now, it's another ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You can just you just poke holes in all of it. Now, another theory is that the Soviets covered up the real events of what happened. The Dyatlov Pass incident was initially buried by the Soviet government for nearly three years after it had happened. Once it was finally revealed to the public, inconsistencies in the reporting and in the autopsies were heavily rampant. Now, many of what we actually, or a lot of what we actually know about this case is from the early Soviet reports, meaning they could have misconstrued the information of the case in such a way that they knew no one would ever discover the truth. If this is true, then what could they have been hiding? The government would have had very good reasoning to cover up a Yeti attack or an alien attack for obvious reasons. Potentially, the military had come in after the group had encountered these things. One member of the search party claimed that a pair of military boot footprints was found within the Nine Hikers single file trail. This could indicate that the hikers were ordered down the mountain by a member of the military, and from there, the group was, quote, taken care of. Now, the cover-up could have also been for a more probable theory. This tragedy took place during the Cold War, and Russia was obviously trying to develop new and powerful weapons. These weapons would need to be tested. We now know from unclassified Soviet-era documents that they typically tested new weapons in remote and desolate regions, very similar to the area of the Dyatlov Pass. Maybe Russia was testing rockets or bombs in the area, and when they went off, it terrified the hikers and caused them to run away from their tent. Maybe these weapons had actually struck some of the hikers, causing their weird and horrific injuries. It was confirmed that rockets were shot at the direction of the Dyatlov Pass from a military group somewhere near the area. Of course, officials deny that the rockets would have landed anywhere close to the hiking group, Whatever the case may be, the idea that the Soviets had some involvement and at least a hand in covering up the incident seems entirely possible. However, the question still remains, why? The Russian government, a couple of years ago, reopened the case. One thing of importance in this reopened investigation is that the investigation itself was moved to the regional branch of the investigative committee. 
The reason this happened is because the state prosecutor had asked for documents in the case and wanted to take a closer look at what happened. It was announced that investigators would soon make their way to the site and conduct over nine separate examinations. Although people got excited by the news hoping that more light would be shed on this case, the official representative of Russia's prosecutor general said they will only investigate three theories, saying the following, quote, all of them are somehow connected with natural phenomena. It was either an avalanche, a snow slab, or a hurricane. These Russian... Researchers have said that the official explanation is that these hackers lost their lives to an avalanche. One of the lead researchers backed up this theory and said that the group's tent was ripped apart by a strong avalanche. The group then managed to get out of the tent, ripping it from the inside, and were able to run to a ridge and shield themselves from the majority of the snow. The prosecutor said the following, quote, This was a natural avalanche. This was a natural avalanche limiter. They did everything right, but there. But here's a second reason that this group was doomed. When they turned around, they couldn't see the tent. Visibility was 16 meters or approximately 52 feet. After this is reported that the group tried to light a fire and search for their tent, but it seemingly vanished under the snow of the avalanche. However, in reality, it showed it would have been underneath said snow. They lit a fire and then searched for their tent, but it had vanished in the snow after the avalanche, and they froze to death in temperatures between minus 40 and minus 45 degrees, end quote. Whew. That's cold. Yes. Uh, at uh, minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit is the same as minus 40 degrees Celsius. So just so you know that, that's a little news nugget for you. The representative also stated the following, quote, It was a heroic find. There was no panic, for they had no chance in these circumstances. The researchers recreated the circumstances that the hikers would have faced, and they said there was no chance of them surviving this, end quote. Now, over the years, this theory has been one that has been backed by researchers who have looked into the case. When you start looking into the history of the area, however, like we earlier told you, there's not been any reported avalanches. So they even went as far as to like reach out to the locals and the Mansi tribe members, along with people who had visited the area in similar circumstances. And they all said there's no history of avalanches that have been recorded and certainly nothing that could have caused humans any harm. So if there was an avalanche in the region, it would have had to have happened at the exact point that the hikers were staying at, something that seems very unlikely. Another point is that when investigators started to look into possible causes, they found no evidence of there being an avalanche during the period in which the hikers were on the mountain, and that the injuries to the hikers didn't line up with avalanche theory. One of the issues with this statement is that it is still promoted heavily to this day inside the Russian governments. But when you look at the evidence, it seems this is actually one of the most unlikely causes for what happened. With this news, it only strengthened the point that the Soviet government is still, or the Russian government, is still covering something up. Despite the numerous theories out there, Pertaining to the Dyatlov Pass incident, none seem to solve everything. 
More than likely due to the improper reporting by the Soviets, the answers to this case will never fully come to light, especially since it didn't come to light until three years after it occurred. We can hope that someday new evidence will be released that blows the whole thing wide open. But until that day arrives, the Dyatlov Pass... Yeah, I doubt it too. But until that happens, the Dyatlov Pass incident will remain one of the greatest mysteries of all time. So what's your theory there, Slappy? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, I would like to, you know, my cryptid believer side would love to be be able to say well it was a it was a yeti but the fact that there were no footprints yeah because is a very curious thing but that picture that picture shows something very strange looking on but i don't know i mean i can't i can't let my wonderment and believe you know, you know my my belief in the sasquatch slash yeti cloud the fact that there's not any footprints a fucking big ass yeti is going to leave footprints no doubt about it well especially since the rescuers were on scene within a couple of weeks and they still found the track of footprints from the tent to that first tree where they found two of the bodies. So you would think even if a Yeti had been in the area, you would still see some sort of evidence of it walking around. I mean, yeah, yeah. They found their single file footprints. And I mean, we're talking Yeti's going to be what at the very least 500 pounds if a hundred pound hiker is going to leave prints, a 500 pound Yeti is going to leave big ass prints. So, but I mean, I honestly don't have anything. How, you know, dying of hypothermia is one thing, but when your chest is crushed in, what could have possibly done that? Well, and that leads to the, like people say that that leads you down the road of there was like an explode, like a air burst, but, but it yeah, still doesn't take into consideration that there's no bruising or tissue. It's almost like a, I don't know, man. It's like a low frequency, like just shakes the shit out of your insides. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like I'm, I think this is why we didn't cover it for so long is because we didn't have, there's just nothing. There's nothing that we, there's no explanation. No, there's not. It's one of those cases where you can pick a theory. And then by the time you start researching that theory, you're like, well, hell this doesn't account for ABC and D. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. There's just, there's no theory that we can give that you you can't shoot a fucking barn, a barn door size hole through, you know? Yeah. I had seen where somebody said it was like a small nuke, but back then they wouldn't have been able to make a small enough, small enough, small enough, (laughs) small enough nuke that small enough cocktail. They, uh, the local Mancy wouldn't have known about. And then you would have also had them having radiation poisoning and shit like that. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I mean, short of, 
they stumbled onto a Russian like mining operation that has plutonium being mined or something. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, they they stumbled upon something they shouldn't have, but I mean, still though, just everything that happened, like the 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 tent and the if they stumbled upon something they shouldn't have seen, blah 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 blah. I think they all would have died in similar fashion. In similar fashion, but the fact that three six of them died of quote unquote hypothermia. And the, uh, the other three died of, like, grotesque fucking wounds, including the girl that lost her tongue. That doesn't explain anything. No, it doesn't. I mean, I don't think they would have. I mean, there's just really, there's no explanation for this. No, and like I said, this is always, like, doing research on YouTube, you'll find videos that say, oh, the outlaw passing its incident has been solved and then you click on it and it's clickbait because basically you get the yeah the russian government investigated they did nine experiments they determined it was an avalanche well yeah yeah i've seen i I saw those there's no evidence of avalanches occurring in that area ever so there's definitely a cover-up of something going on by the government so you know like i said we probably will never know exactly what happened oh god no 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 all right. Uh, recommendaciones chime. Well, I'm going to recommend something I've never done before. I'm going to recommend just a song. I've been listening to it like pretty much nonstop. It's such an amazing song to me. I love it. Uh, the artist is named Remy Zero. R-E-M-Y and then Zero. And the song is called Fair. Huh. It is such a beautiful song. Look it up. It is beautiful. Well, this is not really a recommendation, I don't guess, but uh, I've got, we used to watch Homestead Rescue with the Rainies from Alaska when uh, my son was a wee bit younger, and uh, we found the old on-demand discovery for Homestead Rescue. We've been binge-watching all those old episodes. Man, the amount of ingenuity in that head of Marty Rainey is just unfathomable, man. Some of the stuff that him and his daughter and his son come up with to, to help these homesteaders out, man, are, is crazy good. So if that kind of interests you, that's, I guess, be my recommendation because it's always, Marty's always good for some good dad jokes. Um, they're, they're real corny. And he always, always wears a tux shirt. That white shirt he wears, but unbuttoned down to his navel is a tux shirt. <laughs> so there you go, ladies and gents. One of the more highly r- requested episodes. We also have some other highly requested episodes that we may be trying to do over the holidays. If me and Coach can get our schedules worked out, okay? We're just very busy people. But anyway, if you have any cases that you want to recommend that are not solved, because you better not do that. I mean, to be honest with you, for somebody that doesn't have a whole lot going on, I tend to be very fucking busy. It's weird. Well, it is wrestling season time, and that's what nobody understands. Yeah. Ugh. Don't get me started. We suck. Really? I thought y'all were returning a bunch. We did. We should, we're, we are a whole lot better 
then we are showing. Let me just tell you that. Uh, well, it's early, so we should we should be better than we are, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Coach Em, you got anything else for the lovely ladies and gentlemen out there in podcast land? Oh, you know I don't. Uh, deuces. <laughs> <laughs>